0: Well, good morning. Good morning. Always excited to hear the Word of God. Before we get started, let me pray a sin, and let's be mindful of those who are in the path of this hurricane. It looks to be a really strong one going up toward New Orleans. It's near and dear to my heart because I did part of my graduate work at Tulane University in New Orleans. And we sat in uh, the Florida uh, panhandle side of a hurricane last year, Just about this time or a week or so later, and we know what that's like, it was a much milder one than this. So let's be mindful of those people who have not evacuated and will be in the path of the storm and also their possessions, homes, things like that. So let me praise him. Father God, we're thankful for the fact that we have peace this morning and we're going to talk about peace from your word. And we're mindful of those who are in the path of this storm. It looks to be a big one. And They're used to those things down there, but they always create some level of devastation, uh, bodily harm, physical harm. And so we're just praying against that. We're just praying that you'd help this storm to take its course, uh, but away from and around people and that people have gotten out of the way and and that you'd provide uh, what is necessary for that protection for them and that we, raise, we rise up as Christians and those to be helpful in times like these in whatever way that we can. And so now, Father God, by your Holy Spirit and your Holy Spirit alone who is able to do this, uh, teach us what you have for us this morning out of your word. Your words are truth, they're power, they're peace, as we're going to see this morning. And help us, as Jesus taught, to overcome the world, to be overcomers, to overcome the world. For Christ and Christ's sake alone, amen. All right. <clears throat> There's a verse in Scripture, John 16:33, that I memorized many years ago. It was probably one of my very first life verses, as people sometimes refer to them. And I'm just going to share it with you. Jesus said in John 16:33 at the end of a long discourse, and I'm going to back up and give you the context. But we're going to start with that verse. He said to his disciples, and again, in John 16, he's only a short time away from being crucified. He said, "This, these things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. And so that's the the verse that we're going to base our message on this morning. I'm going to give you the context and a number of other verses in it. So let's get started. It's an exciting verse." Because Jesus overcomes the world and he gives us the strength and power to do the same thing. And today, no one doubts that we need Holy Spirit, God, Jesus, strength, power to overcome the world in which we live. We see every day the demonic power and influence over it. We see every day that it is spiraling downward, heading toward the revelation time as Jesus spoke and is described in Scripture all the way through into the book of Revelation. So let's get started. Let me give a little bit of the context of this. All right, The disciples in Jesus are in the upper room. They went into the upper room. That's what we call it in Christendom. They went into a room upstairs. Remember, Jesus sent two disciples to uh, find this room that they could share the Passover meal. It's all about the Passover meal. And they were sharing that last supper together. We'll end up calling it the Lord's Supper or communion as Christians, as a church. We took that on as one of the uh, things that we do in recognizing and honoring Jesus' name. One of the sacraments, as some call it, it begins in John 13. That's when they go to the upper room and the meal begins by Jesus going around and washing the disciples' feet. And You may recall that event. It's a wonderful, amazing thing of, of loving servitude. It was typical that people would wash their feet or have water to wipe their feet off when they came in someone's home just because they walked around barefooted but with sandals on. And obviously if you worn sandals much at a beach or somewhere around a dusty path or dusty road, you know how dirty your feet get. And so Jesus washed their feet to show. And he said to them later, So said, I'm doing this as a testimony to you that you would learn to understand we're not to be above people. We're to get down here and serve people. And that was why he washed their feet. That was in John 13. We move on into John 14 and he begins to introduce to them As he's talking more and more about his death, introducing them to the person of the Holy Spirit. And in John 14, and again in John 16, as we're going to get into today, he talks about the Holy Spirit. Why is he doing that? Because they're starting to get scared. They've had this amazingly sweet ride for three years. It's been a good time. You're walking around with a guy that now most, I think, believe that he is the Son of God and Messiah, But they weren't sure up to uh, uh, for a while in that they're just following around this guy that's doing amazingly cool things. He is healing people all over the place. He's teaching the word of God as no one had ever done before. And people marveled at that. He even raised the dead and Lazarus and uh, Jairus' daughter and other things that he just did these amazing miracles. And so these were chosen men And it was incredible. It was a sweet gig, as we say, and they loved it. Now he's beginning to repeat this message of, look, we're going to Jerusalem one last time and I'm going to die. And I'm not going to die just because I'm sick or whatever. And I'm going to die because they're going to take me and they're going to kill me. And they're going to put me to death so that the Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled. And they're getting scared because all of a sudden now they realize we're going to be alone. We're gonna be by ourselves. And while the people loved Jesus and they went around praising him and shouting Hosanna for the most part and loving these miracles and loving him, and they loved the disciples, I'm sure, because they were with him. It was just a great party, enjoyable time, wonderful time. But Jesus was teaching them all along, and he began to talk about his death, and they thought, you know, women minute, time out here. If he's gone, we're in trouble. Because not everybody loved him, and we know that the Jews, his own people, the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees and all the religious leaders, hated him. Because on several occasions he had claimed to be God. And that blew them up, as you can imagine. And so all they wanted to do was kill him. And so the disciples knew if Jesus was gone, they were in trouble. And indeed they would be. (laughs) And that's why he began to teach them. And in the upper room, we go through these chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16 where he is teaching them, he's talking to them. They didn't just go up there and have a meal and leave. He taught them and all these words through these marvelous chapters that I'm in the book of John, were taught in the upper room. And so that's the background and the setting for where we are today. This verse, this verse I love so much, it means so much to me personally, John 16, is coming toward the end of that. It's the end of chapter 16. So we're gonna dissect this verse just section by section to help you understand the, the last part of it where Jesus talks about overcoming the world. And how we get there and how we overcome the world. So let's begin. The first, verse, the first words in this verse are this. These things I have spoken to you. These things. If you go back and you read just this chapter, you're going to find six different these things that he talks about throughout. I'm going to give you an example that includes four of those in John 16, the verses 1 through 4. These things I've spoken to you so that you will not be led into sin. Let me back up in just a second. Let's talk about that. So when he says these things, remember you have to look back. It's kind of like when something says, therefore, an old pastor friend of ours used to say, you can ask yourself, Well, what's it there for? What's that word therefore? What are the these things he's talking about? It's all those things I just told you in the preface as we lead up to this, giving you the context. He's talking to him about all the things that are going to happen to him and ultimately to them as well. And so that's what these things are. And he keeps referring back to them. So let me start again in John 16, 1. He said, These things I have spoken to you. Why? So that you will not be led into sin. Some translations say that you will stumble. This is led into sin. And they will ban you or make you outcast from the synagogue. They won't let you go into church anymore. They won't let you to go into the temple anymore. They won't let you to live in the synagogue anymore. They, they, they're going to throw you out. They're going to cast you out. You're outcast. He goes on to say, and it gets, it gets worse, progressively worse, these things. An hour is coming that everyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. Now, isn't that an amazing thing to tell someone? I'm going to go. I'm leaving because they're going to kill me. And oh, by the way, they're going to kill you, too. And they're going to think that they're doing something great for God. Now, what's the best example that we have in Scripture? Well, a, little, a few years after this, after Jesus, he wasn't a contemporary, but not long after, we find a young man named Saul. Saul was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He's one of the best educated, smartest Pharisees ever. So well educated, so smart. And his job, he felt like his job was to go around and persecuting Christians, even to death. And we know that story beginning with Stephen, that uh, Stephen was one of the early church leaders, one of the deacons appointed, and they stoned him to death. And Saul was there, and they said they laid their coats at the feet of Saul, who gave hearty approval. You see, they thought they were doing a great thing. And when Saul was knocked down on the road to Damascus, Jesus confronts him. And says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You're killing me again and again. And what were Saul's words back? Lord, how am I persecuting you? How how am I doing? I thought I was doing something good. These Christians, this is a cult. This is a cult. That Jesus could not have been the, the son of God, Messiah. He couldn't have been. And Jesus said, why not? I am. I am the son of God. I am that person. And we know that Saul was radically saved. Later on, his name was changed to Paul because it was more the Gentile name. Saul was a Jewish name. That's the only reason it changed. You find that about Romans. Let's give me Acts 11 or 12. You see, this is a great example of it. Saul thought killing and persecuting Christians was a good thing. He was doing. He was honoring God. He was doing God's work. And so Jesus is kind of prophesying that here when he says, listen, they're going to think they're offering a service to God. Then he said, these things they will do. Because they have not known the Father nor me. He's saying they really didn't know God. There's so many people today in the church they think they're Christians. They're not. They're not. They don't really know God. Not the God of the Bible. People know the God, and especially people outside the church, they know the God that they create in their own minds. They know the gods of this world, that, or they make up a God that does what they want when they want it, or the things that they think are right or pure or holy, then that's what they assign to God but they pay no attention, have no knowledge of or ignore the God of the Bible. And that's what Jesus is telling his disciples. They don't know me. Not really. The third one, he says, but these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you you may remember that I told you of them. These things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And then he went on to say, however, I did not say these things at the beginning because I was with you. In other words, he's telling them more difficult and scary things, but he's he's wrapping it in the Holy Spirit. Chapter 14, the Holy Spirit. Chapter 16, he's going to go back into the Holy Spirit again to tell them, I'm sending a comforter and a guide and the strength and the power you're going to need because he's telling them things. And he said, why am I telling you that? Because now I'm not going to be with you anymore. I didn't tell you all this stuff before because I was with you. You didn't need to know it at the time. I'm telling you now because I'm leaving. I'm going away, but I'm not leaving you alone as orphans. I wouldn't do that. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I don't know how much comfort that was to them at that time. I don't know because they didn't really know who the Holy Spirit was. Remember, until Pentecost, and Acts, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament came in at certain times in different places, but the Holy Spirit had not come on. There was no church, had not come over those people born again in Christ because there were none. So the Holy Spirit was active and present, but in a different way. The Holy Spirit was present in creation. Remember I shared that with you and taught you that um, months ago. The Holy Spirit was active and always present, um, you know, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, Just as God, the Father and the Son, because the Holy Spirit is God, always there, but worked in different ways and had not come in the way that he was going to be needed and come. Why? Because Jesus Messiah had not come to save us from our sins. And so that's why he's telling them all these things at this time, because now he wasn't going to be with them. And that's what he said. I was with you before. You didn't need this stuff. I was here. I was the power, the strength. You looked to me, but not anymore, not anymore. Shortly, in a short time, the next morning, the next day, that night, Jesus would be captured. And then the next morning, the crucifixion would begin. So it wasn't very long after. The next part of that verse, the first part was, I, these things I've spoken to you. Now we get into the part that he starts to try to comfort them. So that in me, you may have peace. You may have peace. Now, almost every one of us, when we hear the word peace, we immediately think of war, right? Peace and war. That's just what we think. They kind of come together. We're not thinking about the kind of peace that Jesus is talking about and describing, but we're going to look at that. Now, another thing that we need to know is that he'd already in this this, um, this sermon, this time together with the sermon, these teaching times in the upper room as he's going through with them these, this last long discourse that he gave them uh, in, in the upper room he'd already said in John 14 27 a verse that many Christians are familiar with and it's a uh, peace I leave with you my peace I give to you not as the world gives do I give it uh, n- do not let your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid so he's already set them up talking about this peace But I'm sure they don't really understand and follow it the way he means it. He's talking about a different kind of peace. He said, I'm telling you these things so that in me you may have peace. We're not at war. There's no war going on. They were captives of the Romans. The only wars or battles that went on are when the zealots and others tried to rise up and overthrow the Romans or fight. They all got killed. The Romans were so powerful. So there wasn't that kind of war going on. So it couldn't have been that kind of peace. What's he talking about? He's talking about peace in our hearts. He's beginning to introduce them to a concept of peace in our hearts that Paul would later describe in Philippians 4 is is what? That peace that passes all understanding. And they didn't understand it. They did not understand it. He's just introducing this concept of his peace, not the peace of the world. He said not in the way that the world gives. In other words, maybe it's leave you alone. Don't bother you or something. You'd consider that peace. Just leave me alone and I'll be at peace. He's not talking about that kind of peace because he's warning them. He's setting them up saying, listen, he's informing them, saying all these things are going to happen. All the way up to the fact that they're going to kill you thinking they are doing great things. And Jesus is warning them of that. And at the same time, talking about peace. And they've got to be wondering what, how does this, how does this work? How does this fit? Well, it's that different kind of peace. And it's ai don't want to get into a long explanation of that. But it is worth understanding that, again, peace with God is different than peace with the world in terms of war. Now, the part of it that is very similar, if we look at our own lives and the sin in our lives, we could use an analogy there, a good one, that we're at war within ourselves. When your life is full of sin, when you continue to live in sin, You're at war with yourself. This is especially true for those who understand some of the Bible, for some of those who uh, consider themselves or claim to be Christians, born-again Christians, and we all still sin, and we lose that peace at times. But it's not an ongoing thing. When I did that series for you last year on uh, on 1 John, the the epistle of 1 John, we talked about that, and John had said it, Peter said it, Jesus said it, and we're going to see in a minute, John 15, as we're going through this. If we continue to live in sin, if we're not grafted into the vine and we're not bearing fruit, then those are evidences that we are not born again in Christ. That war within us, Satan's winning. Satan is winning. There is no peace because we're constantly a war within ourselves, and we continue to sin or live in sin. And so we're rejecting Christ or the power that the Holy Spirit brings to rise above that, to rise above that. That's the evidence that we're saved, truly born again in Christ. In John 15, geez, I'm doing a series I've been for a couple of weeks now on our, the podcast Words Worth Remembering, and you can subscribe to that if you want to by going to OnlyJesus.life. But you know those I am, I am the you know the Good Shepherd. I am the door all the seven I am's that he taught also in the book of John and in John 15, there's the last one that says, I am the vine. And he goes in the explanation of the vine and the branches, the vine and the branches. He said, I'm the vine. God, the father's the vine dresser. And if you're born again in me, if you're engrafted into me, then you're the branches. And if you're grafted into the vine, what, well, what happens if a branch is truly grafted into the vine, a fruit vine, whatever kind of vine is grape vine, It's going to produce fruit. It is going to produce fruit. And he goes on to talk about it. If it doesn't, it's cut off and thrown into the fire. It's a different discussion. But you see, the evidence that we're born again in Christ is that we will produce fruit. That's his point there. And that I am divine, the last of those as he's teaching this through coming down to look. I'm going to bring peace because you're scared to death and understand that I'm leaving. And you know that war is coming, if you will. And this time that war would be from the Jews, from the Pharisees, those people that uh, didn't believe Christ, didn't believe his Messiah. In fact, believed he was a, a cult leader and a blasphemer and wanted to kill him and wanted to kill anyone associated with him. And so the persecution of the church was terrible. And in some nations, by the way, it still is. And you can Google that and look up the persecuted church. There are people being martyred for the name of Christ every day in this world. And we need to help support those people that support them. Peace. What kind of peace can you have in the midst of internal war? Internal war. Well, that's what Jesus is saying. I came to give you this kind of peace. It's a different kind of peace. You're going to be able to look at these things and stare them down. You're going to be able to look at this persecution that's coming when people want to kill you, punish you and beat you and all the things that happened to Christians and then later to the apostle Paul we read those in graphic detail with the apostle Paul all those things were happening to Christians and he was part of that for all the time even before he was he was a Christian before his salvation experience. So Jesus is telling them, look, this is peace coming. I'm going to I'm going to lead this peace, my peace. It's a different kind of peace. It will ha- let you have this internal ability to rest and understand that, okay, they can take my life, but they can't take my savior. They can take my life, but they cannot take my salvation. You can kill the body, but you cannot kill the spirit. And the spirit of God and those of us who are born again in Christ is renewed. It's eternal. It will not die. In fact, when they killed them, their spirit's those who are born again in Christ, just like us, when we die. If you're really born again in Christ, your spirits go immediately to be with him in heaven. Immediately. Your spirit does. Your body dies. The resurrection later on, that's a different story. But your body, the spirit goes immediately to be with God. That peace never leaves. The peace that passes all understanding that Paul talked about in Philippians 4. Oh, that we would find that peace now, right now. And so let me just challenge you. If you're struggling with peace, warring with peace because of the sin in your life, then ask yourself this question. Am I really born again in Christ? You may just be in a bad place. You may be a solid Christian, and yet you are in a bad place. Demonic persecution, satanic persecution, uh, persecution of other people, whether it's demonic or not, and you're just in a hard place. But you can find that peace. If you just get in the word and get on your knees and ask the Lord God to restore that peace, restore that peace, Lord, no no matter what's happening, no matter what's going on around. I've seen that with people sitting in a prison cell that was sentenced for many years to stay there. That's a difficult thing. People coming in from a homeless camp and coming into missions or places that are recovery. They're trying to find that peace again because the world wants to tear it away. Despite what they say, the world wants to destroy our peace. It does. It does. But Jesus said, I've spoken these things to you that in me you may have peace. The peace is only in Christ. Otherwise, it will be this temporal peace that will come and go, come and go. And as Christians, when we get quiet, get alone with the Lord, start talking to God, our Father, reading his word, We read these words of comfort and peace, words that David wrote and others wrote throughout the Psalms and just reading the words of Christ and then the apostles through the epistles, the words of peace that they spoke. And it is a different kind of peace because it's an eternal peace. We just have to work hard sometimes to recapture that so that we can live in peace no matter what's going on. That's the peace that passes all understanding that Paul was talking about in Philippians 4. Now it comes to more of the warning part that you said up to this point. These things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. Now it comes the tough part. In this world, you will have tribulation, trouble. This is which version you read. I like the one that says tribulation. In this world, you'll have tribulation. Why? We have trouble and tribulation now. There's a great tribulation coming. And some believe the church will be raptured out before then. But it is a time of unbelievable persecution and suffering. And it's going to be extraordinarily difficult for people to become saved during that time. But they will. they will be during that time of tribulation. Hopefully, those of us who believe there's a rapture of the church beforehand, and I understand the verses on both sides of that argument, we're home with the Lord. We've been raptured out. We've been taken up. Jesus comes down meets us in the clouds, and we're called away. It's a beautiful scene. Can't wait for that time. We say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and take us out of this world. But in the meantime, he said, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have tribulation in this world. And I've shared with you some of that they've had. We go through and look, and all these things that have happened to them, Um I mentioned that that hour that he said, indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. They do these things because they don't know him. The apostle Paul wrote in Romans 5, and let me share these verses with you because it, it speaks to both sides of the peace and the tribulation. Paul wrote this. He said, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now, that kind of peace is peace from our sins. Peace from the war of sin that is constantly tearing us down, eating us away from the inside out. We have peace from our sin. We have peace with God. We're at peace with God now because the blood of Christ has saved us, has saved us and made us right and perfect again in the eyes of a holy God. So that's the kind of peace he's talking about there. The best kind. Whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. We celebrate in hope of the glory of God. Not only this, we celebrate in our tribulations. Paul was one of these crazy Christians that was, he was just rock solid. He was amazingly born again. He went from the persecutor to the persecuted. And when you read the stories and things that he went through in his epistles, Begin in the book of Acts and pick that up around Acts 12 and go on through from there. But all the epistles that he wrote, he wrote nearly half the New Testament. And in them he described what was going on. Hope in his tribulations, celebrating his tribulations. He was beaten, he was stoned, he was he received the 39 lashes, the, the horrible, awful, just ripping up his back, just as Jesus had on before they crucified him beaten bloody, left for dead multiple times. He was persecuted. I mean, persecuted in a way, physically persecuted, not just emotionally persecuted that people do today and telling you're stupid, that's nonsense, you can't believe that, call us all kinds of names. And it just gets worse. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you were born again in Christ, you will be persecuted. You will be. You may lose your job. You may ultimately lose your life what Jesus is trying to prepare these disciples for and if you're in Christ you're his disciple it means follower a student beyond follower it's a student is one who is bought into that message and owns it we will be persecuted it's a given it's not an option and each day goes by as we see what's going on in our world and even our nation maybe especially our nation persecution is going to grow people get elected into offices that have power that take away all of our rights. Ultimately they can, they will, I think they will, maybe not in our lifetime It's heading that way. Now speak the name of Jesus in public and go around teaching that and see how people respond to that. See what happens. You can speak any other name. I can say things, I can mention Buddha and I can mention Muhammad and I can mention different names, religious leaders from throughout history. You start speaking the name of Jesus, People go nuts. It, it's just name that's offensive. Why? Because the Bible says the cross, the cross is offensive. It's offensive to the people who are perishing. The name of Jesus is offensive. It's a name. But oh, the name, it's the person, the man, the God man behind that name. And so it's saying you're going to have to have peace in this tribulation. This tribulation is coming and it's just going to get worse. You know, I hate being the bearer of bad news. I really do. But I'm trying to tell you the truth. I try to preach the truth and teach the truth to anyone who will listen. Because I'm just quoting Jesus here. All I've done this morning is quote Jesus in the word of God. I'm not making this stuff up. I'm not smart enough. I'm not brave enough to. I'm just teaching the word of God, which is his truth. Because the Holy Spirit has said, Walter, go be a, you know, do the work of an evangelist, as Paul told Timothy and speak the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help you, God. And so that's what we're hearing here this morning. And then after he said this thing about, you're going to see great tribulation and trouble, he said, but take courage, take heart. That it seems an easy thing to say for him. They're getting ready to go through it. Well, of course it was an easy thing for him to say, because he's going to go through it himself. He's getting ready to be beaten and bloodied crown of thorns. The, cat and nine tails that whip with the pieces of metal in it that just ripped off his back, carry his own cross up a hill to Calvary and there be left for dead until he dies until he dies, which he did. So he's saying, take courage, take courage. It's the same word he used. I shared this with you a few weeks ago. We were on a different message topic, but in Matthew 14, 27, When Jesus was walking on the water, he was walking on the water toward them in the night and the disciples saw him and they were scared to death and they thought it was a ghost. They thought it was a ghost. And he used the same word. He said to them, take courage. It's me. It's me. Do not be afraid. Take courage. The same words he's telling his disciples. Now, he'd already told them in the context of him walking on the water and they thought it was a ghost. So their fear at that point was there was a ghost coming after them, and they were scared to death. Before that, remember, they were scared of the storm. They thought the storm was going to swamp them. Maybe it was like this hurricane that's coming. They were scared to death. Why? Because those things caused death. They caused damage and destruction. And especially in those times, these were just wooden boats with sails that weren't like today, and they were scared to death. And then they see him coming out in the water in the night. And all they see is this mysterious figure walking across the water. And what does he say? Take courage. Don't be afraid. He's trying to instill in them as humans. Listen, don't be afraid. Well, How can you not be afraid? How can you take courage? How can you take courage? Because the words he said, it's me. It's me. And so that kind of leads us into the just kind of wrapping this thing up with what's fine to say. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. That's how he closed this out. He said, I've overcome the world. How how did he do that? Let me give you a few examples here. He, He lived a perfect life. For him to overcome the world, to become that perfect sacrifice, he had to live a perfect life. No sin was found in him. None. If there was any sin in him at all, he cannot be the perfect sacrifice. He'd be no better than any other person that had sinned, would not work. God would not accept that. Death, blood, sacrifice that God demanded had to be blood, had to be perfect life, had to be blood. And then not only that, that gets our redemption, our salvation, but he had to conquer death so that we could conquer death. And so we know that that third morning, what we call um, Resurrection Day, some call Easter, he rose. He overcame death. He, He showed that his power is God overcomes death. So he lived the perfect life. He gave the blood sacrifice. He is resurrected. He rose just as he told them they would. And I'm sure they did not understand that. What do you mean on the third day I'm going to rise again? What's that mean? Well, he showed him. He rose and he appeared to hundreds of people during those 40 days to demonstrate he had done exactly what he said. He said, look, I have overcome the world. And that's what he's talking about. I've overcome everything. I've overcome sin. I've overcome death. And now if you as my follower, I'm going to send you the power to do the same thing. You can be an overcomer. You can overcome anything in this world. Why? Because of Christ, who he is, what he did, and who he sent. Who he sent. He said, I'm going, but it's a good thing for you because I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And we know that story in Acts 1 of Pentecost and what happened there. And the Holy Spirit rattled on that place and coming on those disciples and all the people around them and on us and on us if you're born again in Christ we have the Holy Spirit in us it's a faith journey it's a faith journey we're saved by what grace through faith it's a faith journey I don't know what else to tell you on this overcoming every one of us struggle with it we do we struggle with overcoming our issues small ones big ones we struggle with overcoming sin. There are sins that are thorns in the flesh, like Paul talked about. There are sins that kind of have a, an inroad in us. and We struggle with um, more than anything else. We have the power to overcome, but it takes faith and it takes staying in the word and on our faces before a holy God. Confessing our sin because we still do sin. We don't live in sin, but we still do sin. Confessing that sin because he forgives it. He restores that peace that we need, that peace that passes all understanding. It's exciting. It is, but it's a faith walk. It's a faith walk. Sometimes we're going to not be able to see in front of our eyes, like in a fog, driving up in the mountains. You can't see where you're going. Sometimes that's what it's like. Sometimes it's crystal clear and you can see a long way off. But it still takes faith to go from point A to point B to take that next step. Christian. I just want to encourage you that you can, and by Christ, you have overcome this world. The question for you is, are you doing it now? Are you letting all this stuff, all this junk in the world, and it's easy to do. You start listening to all the different media outlets, conservative, liberal, all that stuff. It's easy to see what a mess it is. It is a mess. Well, it's okay. It's supposed to be like that, believe it or not. And the other thing is, it doesn't get any better. We march toward Armageddon. It doesn't get any better. But if you're born again in Christ, we need to be the ones that are grafted in that vine, bearing that fruit, giving that testimony. Revelation said they overcame by the blood of the lamb, which is Jesus, his part, and the word of their testimony. And our testimony is that we are born again in Christ and that we can overcome through him and the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we can. We need to. You should. And the last word is for those who may be seeing this who just don't believe and you're just either uncertain or you live with your own God or gods that you created and you stumbled across this accidentally and you're not watching it by accident, by the way. If you're watching this today and you have rejected Christ again and again and again and you think people like me are among these prosperity gospel nonsense preachers or I'm preaching the word of a dead man. You're seeing this or hearing it because God, the Holy Spirit, put you at this place at this moment to hear it one more time. Maybe I'm the last messenger that he sends into your life. I don't know. But if I am, you need to know that this Jesus, this death, this perfect life, this death, this resurrection was for you. He had you in mind. Your sin was washed at Calvary, cleansed, removed, just like ours, just like anyone's. If if you bow the knee and repent and say, Lord, I need a Savior. My life is a mess. It is totally screwed up. I'm living in fear. There's no peace in my life. And I need what you've been talking about, Walter, and that is I need a Savior. I'm happy to tell you He is so glad to receive you today if you'll just confess your sin and ask Him to save you from your sin. That's all it takes. That is all it takes. A a repentant heart. A faith to believe that He has saved you. And that's it. And then you begin to grow in Him and that's a process we call sanctification. But right now the first step is that you receive Christ as your Savior. If you're born again, I pray that you would. Oh dear God, I pray that you would. And don't leave this or turn this off before you do that Father God we thank you for the peace that we can enjoy as Christians and I pray that we would I pray that despite of what the world has going on that you overcame the world and you gave us the power and strength to overcome it as well you do not want us to be a bunch of people whining, complaining, running around scared moaning the world is you know, coming to an end the sky is falling The world is coming to an end, but we are overcomers by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony that Jesus indeed saves. And oh, Lord God, would you would you bring someone into that saving relationship right now today? Who's heard this word many times and rejected it. But right now today, Holy Spirit, would you just put that conviction in their heart? that they would receive Christ as Savior today. For Christ's sake and Christ's sake alone, I pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Learn more about how you can become a Christian or grow in your walk with the Lord and receive freely of all the biblically-based content we have created or donate to help keep this ministry going strong. Go to onlyjesus.life. That's onlyjesus.life.